All right. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Jackman Radio on a live stream. I'm your host, Eric Jackman, one half of Jackman Radio, the Jackman Brothers. I am floored tonight, so excited, uh, honored, and humbled that he accepted my invitation onto the program. Uh, this guy's a legend. He's uh, He's been seen all over the world and uh, best known for his Donald Trump impersonation, uh, which has been seen in all corners of planet Earth. It's Mr. John D. Domenico. John, this is this is great, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs> it's it's my honor, man. And um, yeah, you you, uh, you recently sent me a really nice birthday message, and I, it just reminded me I've been thinking. You know, I've always wanted to have you on my show, and we tried to meet in person a couple years ago. You were in Boston for some awards thing, I think, for the right, Emmys. And then you were in New York. Yeah, something at one point we were like we missed each other by like one or two days each time. Yeah, we were like ships in the night. But I mean, I do feel eventually physically we will meet in person. But oh, uh, yeah. this uh, this has it's to suffice. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so you know, you, uh, among other things, you know, obviously you're most well known for your Trump impression. But um, you know, you have a, a variety of characters that you play. Yeah, um, including Jay Leno, Doctor Phil. Austin Powers, Dr. Evil, Guy Fieri, and I remember you were developing Larry a Bernie King. <laughs> Larry King. And you were you were developing a Bernie Sanders. Um Yeah, and, and I had pretty much perfected him and then he just kind of you know, the the, the um the primary, he just kinda died off. And the funny thing is he's still around, but he's just not you know, at one point SNL had him, and everybody was doing the Bernie, and and you know th those are the moments to strike on those kind of topical characters. And of course, I've been doing voices since I was five, and um, you know, performing professionally since I was about twenty-four. Uh, you know, but lots and lots and lots of stuff. The funny thing is, as I get older, the audiences get younger, and they don't know a lot of the characters. You know what I mean? It's it's right. fascinating because. I was doing Humphrey Bogart like in the late 60s, early 70s. When I was a kid in my neighborhood and he was already dead. You know <laughs> what I mean? People dead now. I mean, I remember the drop off in Larry King as soon as he left CNN because I was doing him a lot corporately because he was such a great character and then right. vanished. I was doing Chris Matthews and then stuff came out about him vanished. It's, it's amazing how things can just kind of characters can disappear. And that's such a weird thing now, you know? Right. Voices right. Yeah, they have uh, universal recognition and then um, Poof. something happens, you know, <laughs> right in, in the case of Chris Matthews or, you know, anyone there. Anyone Chris there in Matthews. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Up in laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> Shut up, Bagala. You're an idiot. I met him in Dulles. Was it Dulles Airport? I met him at one of the uh, D.C. airports. I was like, I do you. He's like, what? And I showed him a photo of me in full makeup as him. He got a kick out of that, man. He really, really did. He ask for the impression. Yeah, he did, and I did it. It was funny. He's really tall. Yeah. To me, I'm only five eight, but I was like, this guy's shockingly tall. Yeah, he's got a big head. I mean, most of people on TV have huge heads. Yeah. You know? They're usually like that big. Yeah, I met Chris Matthews in Concord, New Hampshire during the 08 primary, and I got a quick picture with him and said hi to him. But, I think I've seen that. I actually think I've yeah. posted that. It's, oh, it's, it's definitely out there. And then, of course, I met Matt Lauer, uh, you know, speaking of disgraced former uh, big big shots in the media. I met yeah, him. I, I met him, what, two summer, the summer before COVID. I got okay. to meet him too. I was doing Trump of all things, and I was roasting a bunch of people at this thing out in the Hamptons. And there he was. I was like, "There's my oh wow!" I was like, "That's pretty amazing." Yeah, I I saw him at a uh, Trump himself was doing a pancakes and politics event up here in uh, Atkinson Country Club in New Hampshire, and uh, Matt Lauer was interviewing him for it. So they were. They were uh, there's like a hundred of us in the audience, and I got a couple minutes with Trump afterwards, and I got him to sign my copy of the Art of the Deal. Which oh is, wow, that's life. That's a life defining moment right there, John. Yeah, yeah. I have my this cabinet back here on my books. The uh, Art of the Deal is right up there, which my first wife bought me in 1987, and it's ironic because she wrote in the the inscription in the book is uh, "Merry Christmas." Uh, I don't like this guy. I don't like what he stands for. This whole thing. This is my first book. It's 1987. And she oh. wrote, but this is what you wanted for Christmas. So she was very, um, she. <laughs> she Jerry Prescient. 
very she prescient. Very, very prescient moment. Very prescient. Yeah. Almost kind of ominous right there. Yeah. That, the inscription. I never, I never forgot. I show people that all the time. Like, oh, oh, yeah. When people come through, I'm, I'm, I show off the uh, thing like I'm a kid with his baseball card collection. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when, when Trump was signing it, he's like, is it Eric with a C or a K? I said, like your son, Eric with a C. He's like, oh, okay. And he just. No one signs names the way I sign names. Yeah. Right? Yeah. His, his signature is, is, is kind of like a doctor. Oh, it almost, look, it almost looks mechanical. Yeah. It, the he, way he, it's so interesting. Yeah, he loves signing things. And and my friend was asking me, like, how do you meet Trump, Eric, at one of these events? I'm like, bring something for him to sign. Get up, get there early, get front row, and then wave it after the event at him. And he'll, he's, he can't help himself. He'll come over and he'll sign it. And my buddy brought his copy of the Art of the Deal. And sure as shit, Trump signed it for him and he got to meet him. So that's amazing. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's a fun way to do it. But, yeah, so I guess I want to kind of go back to the beginning because I've read and heard you say maybe in 03, 04, 05 is when you first – did Donald Trump um, impression? Um, maybe you did it before, but like professionally. Yeah, professionally. What what happened was I was I've been doing voices since I was ten years old. In fact, that photo right there, that's David Fry. And one of the first albums I ever bought was Nixon: A Four Year Fantasy, where it's a narratively, it's a you know, it's a comedy album, but it's a narrative comedy album which starts you know at the beginning of Watergate and goes right through to the end. And David Fry did all the voices, and he also wrote it. He's an amazing comedian impressionist, great writer, great comedy writer. And on the album uh, Nixon: A Four, uh, Nixon. Uh, a four-year fantasy, I think it was called. He, uh, the, the the person he worked with, his kind of protege, was Gabe Kaplan, who went on to do Welcome Back, Cotter. But that, that had a profound influence on me, which is ironic, because when I started doing Trump, it had nothing to do with politics. But, I, you know, I've been doing voices since I was a kid, and I... When I was moving to New York in the late 80s, that's why I was interested in uh, Art of the Deal. When I was moving to New York to be an actor uh, in New York, I was—I already knew the history of New York, how it started as a trading post and all those things. I knew the, the history of the city. I just wanted to know what was going on in the city beyond acting and theater and film. And, and I was um, reading the New York papers pretty much every few days. And the name that kept coming up consistently was Donald Trump. Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And I was like, who is this guy? And, I, you know, I bought into the whole Horatio Alger story that he, you know, started, came from nothing. And, you know, later on you find out that's true. But uh, he was just amazing in how he would, was able to get himself in the paper all the time. And then years later, I kind of realized he did something. He's an amazing person when it comes to timing because he saw that – the Vanderbilts and the Astors and the Rockefellers were all fading away. And then at that time in history in the late, late eighties, um, no one was really stepping up saying, I'm a tremendous business person. I'm fantastic. Like all of these people, he, if you look at that period, nobody else stepped up and said, I'm a great business person. It's happening now with Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk and people like that. But at that time, there was this, there was a gap, there was a void and, and Trump stepped in, which he's really good at. And uh, so I was learning about him. And then I started working in Atlantic City and he had a couple of um, uh, properties there. And I actually met him in 1990. I was doing a show there. I met him and Marla Maples and oh, that God. was really because he was still married to Ivana and Ivana was literally two miles away running the castle, which was, it was called the castle at the time it became the Marina. I worked at all the properties and I just found him to be a fascinating guy. Then five years later, I co-hosted his uh, 55th birthday at the castle and that was really fun. And I got to share the stage with him and improvise with him and do a big, a big number with him. And I could give you a lot. That, that story alone could be an hour. Uh, but it was yeah, great to yeah. meet him in person and kind of for the second time connect the, you know, the face and the sound of his voice and start thinking about, oh, this guy's really fascinating. And, I, you know, I'm since I had a speech impediment and I was in speech therapy for years uh, from first grade to eighth grade, that's where I learned to perfect a lot of voices because of the speech pathologists and the speech therapists. I 
I'm always amazed by people's voices. It doesn't matter who it is. But when it is somebody with a very specific way of speaking, I just thought, and I know people from Queens, and I know people from Brooklyn, and I know people from Manhattan. I was thinking, like, nobody talks like this guy. <laughs> nobody. It's like almost like this weird amalgamation of things. And he was kind of always in my head. And then I, you know, oh, there's Phil Hartman doing Trump. And I, I, he's almost like a cottage kind of thing in that, that period of time because he hadn't really broken out nationally. But I was just really interested in him. And then the first season of The Apprentice came on. And I, and I was watching it and was fascinated by it and, you know, had met him and just very interested in it. And the season ended and I was at, I don't know, Barnes and Noble. And I saw the box set. The box set came out so fast. It was remarkable, but they knew they had something. And one of my agents called me and said, hey, are you doing Donald Trump yet? And they said, just the voice, not everything else. And I said, yeah, I mean, he's in my head. I said, I, I know that, I know who, I know the sound. I know all the you know specifics of the voice. So could you do an audition on Monday? And this was a Friday. And I said, yeah, I could, I am pretty sure I could do that. So I ran out to Barnes and Noble, got that box set. It was 30 hours of material. And then I do what I do with all voices. I break the voice down into about eight elements. So then it's, it's throat placement, it's nasal placement, it's actual in mouth vocal production. And then where is the, where is the actual sound of the voice? Then there's the, um, you know, whatever you're doing with it, whatever voice, uh, the physicality of the face. Like if you're doing Austin Powers, baby, there's a lot of lip movement, man. Yeah. And with Trump, there's also, you know, a very specific kind of lip movement and all the, all these things. So I wrote those all down, watched all the material. And what I found really interesting was, and I learned this later because I'm friends with some of the producers of The Apprentice, he read, anytime you heard him giving instructions, if you go back and watch the show, you'll notice it's the back of his head because he couldn't remember lines. And he was better and he hated reading the prompter. He was terrible at it. So the most interesting stuff was the bonus material where he would, where the cameras were still rolling and he would say, oh, I hear you two have a... You have a relationship, kind of a, is there a relationship brewing between the two of you? Is that She's very attractive, Mike. She's very attractive. And that you could see like his, he has very specific interests. He likes people. He likes personalities himself and he likes relationships and those kind of things were important. And, and I remember the few times I had heard him on Stern at that time. And he was totally different on Stern. It was much, it was the, uh, it was the other Trump. I, because there's multiple Trumps, as we all know. And he was different. He, all those different voices. So I kind of put them all together, went to the audition and booked it. And it was for Trump. Wow. It That's was awesome. It was for the boardroom game at the Trump Taj Mahal. And then I booked it. And then I spent a week in a studio in Princeton, New Jersey. That's where they were recording it. And on the ISDN line were two executives. One of them was Carolyn Kepscher, and there was somebody else. And their only direction for five days was be meaner, be meaner. You're too nice, be meaner. And I just thought that was, you know, that I was like, I must be doing something right. They're not really correcting me on anything else. And then I just incorporated him into a lot of my, my corporate stuff. And I was one of the few people doing him because within like a, like within a few months, I'd put the wig together. I had Bob Kelly build the wig for me. He did all the Broadway shows and SNL. So he made my Trump wig. And then I went and got, you know, got a Trump suit, and the ties and all those things. And it became a really good run because I was doing it in court. You know, I was doing trade shows and national sales meetings and award dinners. And I would go in and roast executives at like AT&T and, you know, uh, manufacturing companies. It was just a great character. We also did a scalable version of The Apprentice, which could incorporate over 250 people. That was kind of where we maxed out. But so I was doing all that stuff and I was pretty much the only person doing him. So, um, so organically, I was number one on Google. If you put in Donald Trump impersonator, I didn't buy my position. It was just there. You I had, 
yeah, I had had been doing him for so long. And then I got a couple of movies. I did those parody movies um, that that spun off from the scary movie franchise. So I did um, date movie, an epic movie, meet and the Spartans. Of yeah, and Meet the Spartans, which really kind of kicked it off for me. So with the feature stuff, and I started doing TV commercials, and I was doing all my other characters too, but. Trump was just kind of, he was just there. I always, you know, like Austin Powers is just one of those characters that I don't think it's ever going to go away. And then Trump, no matter what he does, because he's Teflon, he'll never go away. And then when he really announced uh, in May of 2000, uh, June of 2015, because he, you know, as you know, he kind of toyed around with it for a long time. But when he really announced by just sheer luck my friend tom shalou had just taken over um um red eye on fox i had done theater with him and we'd done stand-up together and in the northeast and he said hey do you want to be my trump like the timing's perfect i said yeah so i did over the next about two and a half years i did 50 appearances on fox news i did four appearances on fox and friends but within a month of doing red eye uh some of the writers from Conan O'Brien had seen me on Red Eye and then Conan's people called me and then ended up doing like 52 appearances on Conan. And I think the the last one was last year. He's left and now he's going to HBO, but that was an amazing run. And now I'm, um, I'm, you know, the Trump on Howard Stern. Uh, I've done Kimmel three times. I've been on James Corden three times. So it's just, and I was Chelsea's Trump before she left. So all of these things just worked out so beautifully. And then I got an Amazon on prime comedy special so all of this just worked out so great and you know it's something that i've been pretty much working towards since i was 24 you know um one of the issues that i've had and i i don't know if it's been an issue for you i did i've done like 300 interviews with new york times washington post um london times all the major newspapers fox i mean abc spent an entire day with me for a nightline episode uh nbc spent two and a half days with me for a seven minute story which they lift they broke into pieces but you can find the whole thing Uh, but because i was always wearing a mask like essentially no one ever knew who i was Right. right, you were just a Trump guy, would, or just a Trump. Guy. And the funny thing is, I would do an event, a high-profile event. It would be like, you know, you know, the president of AT and T, Alec Baldwin, so and so, and Trump guy. You know, it's like always right. like, hey, could you put my name in? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a mannequin. Could you remember there's actually a human being behind yeah. this? Uh, yeah, this it thing? was always nice when I actually got credited. Um, uh, you know, in, in those types of situations, but I did, you know, did did all that amazing stuff, and it was a hell of a run, as you know. You've had some probably amazing moments that you're like, wow, this is this is incredible. Yeah, there's um, there are moments where you pinch yourself and you're like, you know, just because I was crazy enough to get a Trump wig and paint my face and get right. the uh, the whole getup, and and you know, for me, it started when. Um, I always, like you, a lot of what you say is is kind of how I feel and, and what I've told a lot of people who've asked me is that Trump is is the eternally fascinating figure to me. Yes, and he's exactly. compelling, and you you can't believe there's like a human being out there like this guy. Yeah, he's so outrageous and so over the top. It just says whatever comes. He has no filter. It just says whatever comes to his mind. And he bends the, reality. It just, it oh, just bends it. Totally yeah. creates his own reality like he did four years as president. And everyone else has to kind of like fit into that and deal with it, you know? So, I, yeah, I knew about him probably around when The Apprentice was getting big. And then I would just, I asked, I would ask my dad about him. My dad would be like, Trump, he's that, that, uh, that real estate guy who's been bankrupt a bunch of times in New York. And um, for me, what really like just, just fascinated me and maybe become kind of obsessed with this figure of Trump is when him and Rosie had their feud, their original feud when uh, she was hosting the view. And oh, Trump, yeah. Trump had the, Trump oh, had the beauty. Wow. Yeah. Trump had the beauty pageant and like one of the contestants messed up and Trump wanted to give her a second chance and did a press conference with her. And Rosie's like, you know, I just, I do not enjoy him. And she like flipped his hair and she's like, Oh, everybody deserves a second chance. And it, it, Rosie's impression of him was pretty funny. And then Trump shot back. He, he summoned entertainment tonight's cameras up to his office at Trump tower and went on a, like a two and a half minute takedown. That's one of the most compelling couple minutes of TV. He was like, 
Well, Rosie O'Donnell's disgusting. I mean, you look at her, she, she's a slob. She talks like a truck driver. She's very unattractive, both inside and out. And I'm like, wait, this guy's like a 60-year-old man. He's a billionaire real estate mogul, and he's worried about like, what Rosie Don O'Donnell is saying about him on The View. Well, and, and the funny thing was, she was at their wedding. He had invited her to the wedding at Mar-a-Lago between him and uh, um, Melania. Rosie, Rosie came to my wedding. She ate on my wedding cake, John. I just, I, you know, that's the thing because it's like, doesn't matter friend or foe. If he sees an opportunity for free right. grass and, you know, we basically like milked that for eight years, I think it was oh. not, it was, it was relentless. It was, it was. relentless. And what was nice when Rosie was sick or going through something, Trump tweeted nice things and said, I hope you recover, Rosie, because they both need each other, you know? Right. At that point. I hope you recover because I can, what you do, I'm going to call you a big fat cow. Because that's <laughs> a horrible, horrible person. You know, John, you get better. And I love you so much, you pig. She talks like a truck driver and she's yeah. very unattractive. And I think I might see Rosie. You know, she smells. I've stood right next to her. She smells. And at the wedding, she took zip Ziploc bags of food on. Did you know that? <laughs> Ziploc bags of food. I, I said, don't do that, Rosie. But she was like, I'm so hungry. I'm oh, so hungry. He, he would say that. Um, so, yeah, that happened. In, in I have a twin brother now. Are you a twin or you have brothers who are twins? I have two twin brothers. I don't have a twin. Michael and Stephen okay. are twins. But. Michael and Stephen are fraternal twins, and they look totally different. And my brother Michael looks like me. Ironically, okay. we all sound exactly alike. We all sound. Oh, that, that's going to be a trip. The three of you guys together. Oh yeah, it's 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 crazy. Michael and I share the same sense of humor. He edits a lot of my material. Here's an amazing. We have the exact same sense of humor, but his is just a little more in one direction. So when I send him material, he'll take more, he'll take a joke like to the next step. Like, damn, how did I miss that? You know, right, he'll just he'll elevate it. Yeah, he'll elevate it and just kept capture something that I just did not see, which I love because that's great. That's always great to have a comedy editor like that, or, you know, add, add additional yeah. material. So, and he's, you know, he runs his own company, which is essentially sells advertising, but he's wow. a very funny guy. And we talk all day long through WhatsApp and everything. Yeah. Else. Yeah. So that's awesome, man. So you can probably relate in being close with a brother and brothers who are also into entertainment and entertaining people and do actually have a talent for it and an eye and an ear for it. Uh, my twin brother, Mike, he does impressions. And some might even say, even though I'm the one known for the Trump impression, that his Trump impression may at some points be better than mine. Right. You know, he, he does, he does Trump very well too. Um, so yeah, we were like our freshman year of college, like 05, 06. That's when the Trump impression became like big for us. And we were doing it for all our family and all our friends. And right. it was just, it became part of our repertoire. And then when you, when you fast forward to 2015, 2016, when he actually announced he was running and it became a real thing. And my friends were like, Eric, I remember you do Trump really well, man. You should, you should have him like be a character that you bring out in the public and do some skits and do some funny stuff with. So it just kind of clicked. And when he ran for president here in New Hampshire, we get pretty unbelievable access to presidential candidates yeah because I, I guess I, it's so small yeah yeah we only got like 1.2 million people here and it's even less even less people who are a lot a lot of people are but even less are engaged in the political process and actually go out to these things but trump was like unlike any other candidate i've ever seen this was my sixth new hampshire primary and when he ran in 16 he just he couldn't do the traditional retail like small mon pa shops diners uh, political stops like other candidates do. He had to literally like have the, it was called the Verizon Wireless Arena in Manchester, New Hampshire. Yeah. And, and, and as you probably know, he's not good on the one-on-one. -on -one. He, that's not his strong suit. Oh, no. He's, he he's better in front of a huge he crowd. Want, yeah, he, does, he doesn't want questions. He doesn't yeah. want to shake people. He doesn't want to individually, that's like a waste of time to him. And yeah, also yeah. it's just not, he, he, just does, he doesn't function that well. In those situations, hello, how are you? Good to see you. On to the next thing. He doesn't really he doesn't give a shit about some <laughs> farmer. You know what I mean? I don't care about your fucking question. <laughs> Let me talk. You listen. Yeah, you sit there, you listen, okay? Right. I'll be brilliant and, and you listen, okay? Right. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was really lucky. So I, a T-shirt company caught wind of my impression and really liked it. So they hired me to start showing up to Trump's rallies and events 
and other candidates' events as Trump in the costume to get attention and to advertise for their T-shirt. Oh, I didn't realize that. They, they wanted me – they're like, name your price for what you want for name this. I put. I was like, okay, and I put out a number there that I didn't think I would get, and I got it, and like, no problem. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. So that was like my first paid gig, and I went to a big Trump rally the night before the New Hampshire primary, uh, dressed as him, throwing the shirt around just to get attention, and um, like halfway through the event, Trump spotted me and made a big to-do about my <laughs> me being there in the crowd and called me up to the yeah. front of the stage and it was it was wild it was like probably was you know minute, cool. I remember when that happened a minute and a half for two minutes of trump's attention and him saying some things uh and he laughed and said you know congratulations man i hope you make a lot of money doing that so that was the moment where i'm like all right that's it um, this is going to become like a bigger thing than i thought it would and um you know i got I got on tv a few times got some more press and some more interviews and then i could just could start saying I'm a professional Donald Trump impersonator. And that's when I reached out to you. I, I remembered, you know, your stuff. And obviously I had seen you before and I'm like, yeah, I would love to uh, just pick his brain and get some advice from him. So right. I sent you an email and kind of told you who I was and, and some of that. And you're like, just get out there and do it. Uh, get a profile on gig salad, which I did. And uh, gig salad has, has kept me pretty busy the last few years. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great marketplace that gig masters, all these things. Yeah, being on there. So, yeah, it's 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 still going. Uh, the the last couple of pretty good sized gigs I had were back in June. I did um, Anderson Window, their corporate awards. They had a, an awards That's thing incredible. in Connecticut. Yeah, it was That's a great awesome. gig. And yeah, I went, I went and crashed the meeting and made fun of the vice president and and took over the podium. And you know, it's like 150 people there. And uh, it's it's I know you know the feeling when you just you walk into a room and you just own the room instantly. Yeah. It's a wonderful just, feeling. You just take over. And yeah. then meanwhile, you're just some guy. You're just some jokes. You're some trickster in a suit. And this is a guy, you know, probably a VP, a high-powered executive. He makes, you know, he could make a half a million. He could make a million a year, you know. Right. But you just push him aside like Trump, like Trump did when he went over to uh, NATO or the UN. He brushed the right. other president aside. He was just like. Yeah, I think it was a G20. G20. The fuck out of my way. Get the fuck out of here, you peon. Idiot. I don't even know you. I can't even pronounce your country, so move, okay? (laughs) And you know you'd be lucky because I won't bomb it, but maybe we'll see what happens. I I just thought it was so funny. Not only did he push the guy out of the way, but he was like. Yeah, he he pimped right up. Oh, my God. It was like he was peacocking, baby. It was hilarious. That's when he's in Mob King mode when he does that. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. You know, the big black jacket he has where he's just a New York Mob King? Yeah. Yeah, it's very – it's like the uh, League of Villains, and he's, (laughs) like, getting to the front. It's so funny. Uh, Yeah, but that's – I did a – recently did an event here in in Las Vegas, and it was so – A, it was great – to be in front of a corporate audience, which I haven't been in months. And this was May. You had said June. This happened to be May. And it was such – and they were – the audience was doubly engaged because this was their first meeting since COVID. They were – oh, sorry. It's Putin. Pick it up. Booty. Hold on. Vladimir, we can talk later in the hot tub. Yeah. Um, so actually, it's a producer, but I just blow him off. Uh, but it was one of those things where they were happy to be out. They, uh, I had performed for them once before. Um, it was a quicker bit, but it was, and I did like a full uh, forty-five minute set, and you know, roasted like all the top people, and that spent weeks writing the script. I wanted wow. to get as much material in about their company and what they did. And, you know, it was a fascinating, it was actually a really cool company. Um, and it just felt so great. And everything hit every, you know, when you do that, when you spend that much time writing and mm-hmm. putting a script together, um, you know, and multiple drafts and you run up by some of your comedy friends and like, how can we tighten this up and what can we do here? And, what can, and then you have to also be cognizant of, you know, when you have to do a really long, set like that you want to you know you want to make sure you have have enough material i always overwrite yes i can cut on the fly but it was really exactly. great i've had a few few more of those and i just booked a show in chicago and it's like oh it's coming back it's fine oh, it's coming it's 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 coming and you know it's and uh you know and i was lucky enough to wait work on the fox series this summer 
with uh, Robert Smigel from SNL and all those other shows, uh, Dana Carvey's show, where oh yeah, uh, yeah, we where uh, it was called um, uh, Let's Be Real because we shot the pilot year ago, a year ago this month. And then Fox sat on it and then gave us the green light March of last year. And then we went into production in June. And then we shot five ep- episodes of the show. Unfortunately, um, they gave us no support, no advertising, no marketing. And the show didn't really go anywhere. But I got to work with some great people. I actually worked with Anthony's old partner who did Bernie. Um, James, James Adomian. Yeah, James Adomian, who is so funny. Oh, and, he's brilliant. Uh, Piat Michael, who's a huge, he's our Joe Biden, along with a bunch of other voices, but he's just this amazing comedic voiceover artist. And we had a great, great crew, great cast, but, you know, it just didn't take off. And it always amazes me that, you know, I don't know if you follow British comedy. Something tells me you do. But, you know, right now on BBC One and BBC Two, there's like, it's like 20 different sketch shows, Right. And they're hilarious. And these people go on to like, you know, bigger, much bigger and better things. All we have is SNL in this country. Like makes yeah. no sense to me. Yeah, you we would think there'd be a lot more. 350 million people. We have one sketch show. It right. doesn't make any sense. And I know there's the late a black ladies comedy sketch show. That for, for sure, that's a great show. But where are all these? I mean, there's, I think there's so many opportunities for a sketch comedy show. Um, and not necessarily about Trump. I just mean just different, you know, something targeted to 50 years old, something that targeted – everything seems to be – the demographic seems to be much younger. So Yeah, and, and, you know, SNL has its good moments, but overall I'm pretty disappointed with SNL. I just they're, – they're really hit or miss, and I just – I don't know. I, I think sometimes they're funny, and a lot of times they're just trying really hard, and they kind of have talking points, and it's going to – Kind of a political path that they're following. I don't know. Well, you know, it's funny you say this particular episode didn't seem to have any of a a political view at all. Uh, But there were a couple of really good, well-written sketches. And then there was some other stuff. I was like, what is this? Right. It just would, but Rami Malek, is it Rami or Rami? Rami? Rami. Uh, The the guy who's in the new Bond? Yeah, Rami. He Uh, was. Rami Malek, yeah. There were a couple of sketches and he was excellent. The, The Squid Game parody was really funny did you watch squid game i know i started oh, to which is, god dude it's so dark yeah oh so it's just, just, just that, that. two episodes that i saw i was like uh yeah we, they could show that to trump and he'd be like is this what i was doing in korea with rocket man at the dmz this is what was going on at the dmz john squid game unbelievable that was that was a highlight when he went and shook rocket man's hand at the dmz i i really chalked it up was one of my favorite moments of trump's presidency <laughs> Twice, yeah. It's just all the hype. No nothing. No, just yeah. And um, it's it's cool because my my best friend from college is very close with Dennis Rodman's translator when he's gone over to North Korea. Right. So I've heard peripherally through that. I've heard some pretty insane stories that I hope one day I can talk about on a podcast or have them verify and then talk about. Have them come on and talk about, but. Um, that's that. That's another thing about Trump's character. No, no one like could do that the way Trump did it. You know, right. could, could just go over there on, on. They're both cults of personality. They're both you know bombastic, larger than life figures. You know, R- Trump more so than Rocket Man, but um, and wing I, it and oh, wing yeah. it. Oh, totally. Yeah, just just go over there but during the debates. He's like. I'll bring him over a hamburger. We can talk, okay? I'll bring him a hamburger. You know, do you realize you have all this great beachfront property? Right. We can develop it. Don't do this. Don't do this. this. We can turn it into something so beautiful. And it's untouched. It's untouched. We can do this. We can do this. And and Kim Jong-un is like, "Mm -hmm." Yeah. He's, He's a little... He's a little, little off the rails. So I got to ask you, John, like what kind of response do you get from your family? Like when you go to family parties and family gatherings and you meet with people from your hometown or from your past and they see the amazing success you've had and, and all the achievements you've had with this impression and comedy. I've got all the losers out of my life. There's no one. I talk to no one. I just talk to you, Eric. That's it. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, I've been, it- you know, I've been, uh, it's been really, it's been beautiful because, you know, everyone I went to grade school with, middle school with, high school with, college, and I'm still friends with a lot of these people. Right. Um, there, I actually had a friend, um, I was on um, The Good Fight with uh, Christine Baranski. 
uh, which I shot like February 20, February of 2020. But she wrote me and she wrote, Sean, I'm so proud of you. You know, this is what you always wanted to do. You make a living as an actor. You make a living as a comedian. And we're so proud. And I just made me cry, um, you know, because I've been doing this. I'm 58. I'm going to be 59. I started, I, I became a professional actor comedian when I was 24 years old. And this is all I've ever done. And this is a tough racket. I mean, this yeah. is tough <laughs> Racket's a great word for it. Yeah, it is brutal. I mean, you know, you can have these. Like, I'll perform for like, I've performed for 5,000 people. And you're like, you're on this high. And then you get on the plane, you fly home, you take your trash out. And like, you're nobody. And uh, it's it's a very weird thing. Like, you'll take whatever you can get because that's just how it is. Um, you know, there's plenty of people that I know, younger people in LA who have a manager and like, you can't do that. And you, but I've always just like, I have to work because I have to mm-hmm. eat and I have to pay my mortgage. Mm-hmm. So um, the response has always been um, really supportive. I've never had anyone, anything negative from anyone I know. Everyone's been really great because I know this is this is all I've ever wanted. I just want to perform. I want to make a living. I'm not one of these people. I want to be a celebrity. I want to be rich. I've never said that. I've never pursued being famous. I've never pursued money per se, other than to pay my bills. Like this is what I want to do. I love getting in front of an audience. I had two shows this past week here in Las Vegas. Both of them were like freebies, but I need to constantly be in front of an audience, not for just adulation and affirmation, but I'm always writing new material and I got to get that in front of an audience and I got to make sure the response is right. And if I have to go back and cut two words out of a sentence, I I, I I intrinsically don't know that myself, but I know it once I'm in front of an audience, I can always fix a joke, but I have to get it in front of people. And the second show that I did, I think it was Thursday night. I, I kind of, I had a great response, but I knew once I was done, like I could have made that so much better. Just the way I had structured the bit, I could have made it better. You know, so right. You always Monday. I always do this too after big gigs, especially if someone films it for me or I have some recording of it. I do the Monday morning quarterback, and I'm like, oh, I could have that could have been way better than just that one line there. I could have just added this one little thing to it. But that's the thing with Trump, the material. I mean, because when he was on Twitter, and I know you probably went through this too, we could barely keep up with I all the new material. I, honestly, yeah, there were things. There and I, you know, I was up every morning. I'm obviously on the West Coast, um, and I have I'm behind you guys, so there I can still remember. And I mean, I checked Twitter and I checked Huffington Post and I checked the New York Times and I checked and I checked Fox. I just was needed to know every. And I remember I was on a corporate job and somebody said, "You're going to mention uh, Scott Smith tonight," and I'm like, "Who's what?" Because I'd been in my room writing and like something had broken like three hours before I had gone on. It was for a big group. And I just remember thinking like, it's impossible to keep up. But here's the lesson I learned. I'm a junkie. I'm a news junkie. And I'm obviously doing Trump. And I found that the, the audience is about two days behind on unless someone dies. But they're about two days behind because I was doing a show for six months here in Las Vegas and I was putting in stuff that was happening that day. And I noticed the response wasn't there. Hmm. And And it took me a while to figure it out. It took about two days for it to hit the regular public who's working and traveling and may not be interested in politics, but they know Trump's president and this thing and that thing. So I kind of gave myself a break and I realized like the the hits work and you know, the hits Um, and then filtering new material in after it has had a time to get through to the general audience. And that was the great thing about doing a show that ran for, was it we, we ran for more than we ran for eight months, but doing multiple shows a week really helped me fine tune what the audience was expecting from Trump. I knew what I was going to give them, but how detailed I got 
didn't matter as much as the bigger the, the bigger brush strokes. They weren't looking for something that just went down that day. They were just looking for the bigger brush strokes that they knew from the last few weeks and things like that, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's such a great point, man. Always studying your audience and, and doing the best recon and research you can before you're going in with a certain group because they're going to, at some level, know about Trump and what he's been saying or what he's been up to. But just like you said, if you just keep, try to go as current and current as possible, you might miss him on some things because yeah, it, it will take some you're time. Ahead of, you're ahead of them. You know? Right. Stuff needs to saturate a little more for general public right. who, who aren't right. freaks like you and I that, are, that pay attention to everything that the guy says. Every and, day and tweets that. Day. You know, a lot of people aren't on Twitter. No. You know, well, a lot yeah. of people are not on Twitter. Uh, I've pretty much, I'm pretty much off of it now uh, because I don't have to be there and it's like a cesspool. So Twitter is really gross. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep it going just because I have my podcast and yeah, um, my, my show and it's good for that sort of stuff. But you're right, man. It is really gross. And Chappelle said in his recent special that Twitter is not real. It's not real life. Remember that people, you know, yeah. so it's that's uh, something good to keep in mind. So what, uh, what was your favorite most memorable Trump gig and what was the worst one? Um, there were, there were, there were really big audiences, big shows. Um, there's not a specific one. There were some specific things that happened, uh, meeting some really famous people and sharing the stage with them. And, you know, it was more like working with Conan on stage doing Comic-Con all those years. So, um, that audience was when I came out, they were booing me, just booing the Trump character, mm-hmm. booing them. And I, and I, it was loud. It was like 3000 people. And it's like this, wow. this energy. Cause they love Conan and they're a bunch of nerds and you could feel it in your chest. Like three, this isn't an opera crowd. This ah! So, so when I came out, I had, you know, turned up the confidence to 11 and I came out and they're booing me. And I said, this is tremendous. This is, they're calling me their boo. They're calling me their boo. And I, I improvised that line and it saved my life because it totally disarmed them. So that was, I think in one audience, if I didn't have that line, I don't, I don't know how I would have turned them around. So that was kind of like the best, the worst, potentially the worst, but also the best at the same time to be in the hands of Conan's writers, to be on stage with Conan and to be able to um, be in the flow, like you weren't hemmed in. Uh, That was amazing. And then when I got the call from uh, uh, Howard Stern's people to join his that show that was pretty cool. So yeah, that's, that's all these so... things just keep they, they they keep building. But what really the, the biggest takeaway for me has been like just how wonderful everybody is and how creative everyone is and how professional all these shows that I've worked on. Everyone's just been so so great. And um, I can't I can't think of. I mean, I remember clearly bombing as a stand up. I mean, like, like death on ice, but nothing specific with, with Trump because the audiences have just been so great. And it's been such a zeitgeist moment to have been doing this guy for so long and to be in his skin and then for him to announce and just be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. It's like a rocket ship is how I, what I tell people. And, yeah. you know, obviously I'm, I'm nowhere near the level you're at or have been at, but to just constantly while it was happening, be getting calls for media appearances, pretty well-paying gigs. It, it really was pretty surreal. And I really enjoyed every second of it. And I still do. I don't take any of it for granted. And, oh yeah. Uh, no, because everything like I got one of the studios asked me to fly out and have a general meeting with the studio. And, you know, I got on the private plane and I flew out and we had a lunch at a great restaurant. It was very exciting. And, you know, and I've been through this, I've been up for TV and film stuff and all that. And you think, Oh my God, it's a studio. This is going to be, Oh my, this is amazing. And you're having lunch and you're trying to be cool and people are asking mm-hmm. questions and, and then you go home and you fly home and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Is this, is this on? Is this yeah. Lou? Yeah. I have my number, right? Hello. You know, my email. Yeah. yeah, I was like, nothing, like nothing, yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know, it was fun. It was great. I'm so glad it happened. But it's like, I really need 
like a show or something. Yeah, or can we get, what can we get going here? Director, not a self-produced comedy special. You right. know, can set, yep. you know, like, and you're so close on so many things. So, I mean, I can tell you the stories. I was so close on, and I'm not, and it sounds like I'm ungrateful. I mean, all this stuff. Oh, no. But there have been a couple of like really big projects that fell apart. I was like, fuck. Yeah, like sand in your hands. Yeah, it's like sand in your hands. And, and yeah. I, you know, I listen, I've, I, I know many actors who've been through this and these situations and they've been very close. And I'm very lucky to make a living at this. Obviously, I need to kind of like move on. I'm always moving. I'm like a shark. Like, what's the next thing? I'm working mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to get back to regular stand-up. I've had a couple of normal stand-up dates, and that's what I want to do. I want to get back to stand-up, get my face out there as opposed to the right. Trump face, you know, which, which well, it's, it's a mask. It's 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 a mask. Yeah, it's, it's not really who we are. Right? We're not really Donald Trump. So do you find yeah. this for a lot of gigs or outings or events where there's a lot of projection onto you when you're in this character and people want you to be a certain way or – behave oh. a, a certain way and, and you just got to give it back like a football, like an improvised football. Well, here's the thing. I mean, this happens all the time. People make assumptions mm-hmm. about my political views and who I am and what I do. And um, uh, it happened just the other night. I was at, as myself, I was actually at a gala where I just had to do like five, 10 minutes as me. But the people with it, when they find out you do Trump, they just assume certain things and they say, aren't you, isn't he the greatest? Isn't he the best? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you must be so happy. And, and I'm my, and I always say he's the most, he's, he's incredibly fascinating. That's what I always say. He's really fascinating. He's a fascinating guy, you know, because it's, I don't want to get in. A, I don't want to get, I, I want to remain neutral for the most part, but I just, you know, it's like, what am I going to say? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you go back to this thing, I, you know, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. And also, and also just as a performer, as, a, as an old school theater guy, performer, stand up comedian, all the things I've done, I don't want to alienate half my audience. And I think you and I may have messaged each other back and forth. The thing I didn't like about and I've opened for Alec Baldwin. I mean, they've hired me to open for him. Yeah, I've seen you guys together. They had to be yeah. surreal. And it was, it was, it was great. And the one, and I didn't say this to him, but the one thing that I thought that hurt his performance as Trump was his, his, his absolute hatred. hatred of Trump. It really leaked through his performance. And I, you know, I would say that to his face. I, I, but obviously that was a choice. He's, you know, he's been Oscar nominated, but I think it hurt the performance in the end. Uh, it was so. It was. It was so arch. It was such an arch kind of represent. Because you know, when he does Tony Bennett, have you ever seen him do Tony Bennett? I, I haven't, but I imagine that's pretty good. Oh my god! It is a. It's hilarious, but you can tell he loves Tony Bennett. So that changes mm-hmm. the performance, you know. And what I want to do. As someone who trained, you know, at HB Studios with uh, the Foundation Theater, all these theater companies I was with in New York, they always said, like, the first thing you learn is you have to love the character that you're playing. When I'm playing this character, shooting, when I did the uh, the Canadian show, You Got Trump, we were shooting, like, 14-hour days. Like, I could not dislike this character. That was, you know, it was a month of shooting. And right. I, I have to like this. I'm living in this character uh, really long days. If I would dislike him that much, it would there would be such a divide and there would be such a void in the performance. You know, it, it, I think it would have, I know it would have killed it for me and it really would have zapped my energy. So for me, I have to remain neutral. Um, obviously in private conversations, that's something else. But for me, once I'm performing and I'm a professional, my job is to love this character, just like a person who loves themselves because that's how they function. Or they they pretend to love themselves and there's actually a lot of self-loathing, but then you're getting really deep into the psychology of the character. But that's a that's a right. totally different thing. So 
you know. Yeah, that's why I've always liked Daryl Hammond's take on Trump because he was asked about it. And he's like, I hate the guy. I, I, you know, I love this character of Trump. I'm fascinated by him. I think he's hilarious. Yeah, it's, I get Fa the it's Faust. It's it's a yeah. Faustian character. It Even is Even right down to him being like, you know, Faust was fascinated with his daughter. Like, it's, <laughs> get two sons, a daughter. I mean, the sons oh my are God. morons. I mean, there's so many, so many elements. And he, and you know, and I've always said he's a Shakespearean character. He is. He's yeah. big. He's there's so much there's so much intrigue around him. There's you know spies and Russians and this thing, that thing and people porn stars, porn stars. I mean, like you, if you wrote this book twenty years ago, people would have said, "No one's going to buy this." He's sleeping with a porn star and he's having an extramarital affair for a year with a playmate, but he's married oh. to a model who's oh. a Russian who just had a kid. Yeah, who just had a kid and no one can why is she uh why did she get in on a genius visa? She's a genius. She is. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like if you wrote all those details, someone would go, I can't buy this. I can't. Yeah, it, it is it is unbelievable. It, it's 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 still hard to believe, man. I wake up some days and say to my brother, I go, dude, he was fucking he was in charge of the nukes for 48 months. Yeah. Donald Trump acquired nuclear weapons and had him for 48 months. So what do you think, John? Do you think he runs again? And I, I mean, I obviously think, we want him to, we want him to all get to you, John. I want him to run again. I definitely I think do. He's gonna, I definitely think he's going to run. I think he, you know, he's got, you know, when he entered office, he had 3,800 lawsuits. He was dealing with 3,800. He had just settled on Trump university where he says he won, but he actually had to pay out like, over $25 million. It's still a win, John. I didn't have to admit fault. I still won. Right. And that's his, that's his, you know, that's yeah. his MO. But the six criminal complaints, the SDNY, I think that's going to go away because the timing of Cyrus Vance, leave, uh, Vance leaving is very strange. The state criminal complaint, I, it just see, and I, they, they have the evidence. They just haven't moved on it and i think no one wants to be the person to indict a former president now when you get to georgia those complaints are very very specific and there's a lot of evidence there's a lot and it's not even like circumstantial it's like him calling up saying i want this done so those criminal complaints those six um out of all of them the the georgia ones have the most legs out of you know, and then you'll we'll see what happens with um, January sixth or any of those. I don't think there'll be a criminal complaint coming out of those. And obviously, two impeachments doesn't matter to a lot of people. So, no. well, people's memories are so short in our country, man. Especially your average American, because like you mentioned earlier, people are busy with their lives, working. They got families. They got what they're doing, and they can only really see what's put right in front of them. Yeah. Yeah, they're dealing, and there's a lot of fun, and you know, and COVID has, in some areas, made it from, as, as we all know, some like you know, people are drilling down, and other people are like, I don't want to deal with it. I just, want, I just want to live. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know. So, but to go back to your initial question, um, as long as I've been following him, which is since the late '80s, and I've met him, and and know a lot about Atlantic City because I know a lot of people from there and Philadelphia and New York, the guy's Teflon. It's absolutely remarkable to me. Um, all the things, you know, that, that nothing has stuck to him over the years. I mean, like nothing, it's really incredible. So I don't think he has to worry about anything. He tells his followers one thing, they're gonna, they're gonna believe it. So he's, yeah. he's got an army of 74 million people. I think with the voter restriction laws in all the states, and I've read the legislation, um, it's very clear they want to like they want to really restrict how people vote. Um, the the thing with the water, uh, and it's like what you know, you can't be driven to the voting. I'm like, what are you talking? Yeah. About? Yeah, a lot of shenanigans. I mean, stuff. I mean, they've been voting by mail since before the Civil War. Like to like restrict mail-in voting is just like crazy to me. So, right. um, I I think with the 
and and no Republican has won the popular vote with the, like in 20 years in the presidential. But these voting restrictions may change that. And if you have him and he has a very I, I'm kind of tuned into the, you know, all the I don't even say Republican, a lot of the Trump stuff. And I get a lot of the emails. And when I see like we need to get together and form a militia for people to go to the voting stations for voting integrity, I'm like thinking like what? Why yeah. you're an outside group? You don't do voter integrity. That's not your job. That's the right. state and the precinct or the parish or wherever they're actually doing it. Not a group, not an outside group who has absolutely no authority. That's like, you know, that's like a vigilante group going to a voting station. You know, I find that yeah. there's certain game. things I find kind of scary the way things are. Being yeah. Happened. Oh, a lot, a lot of scary things happened over that time. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I. I uh, but to, to answer your question, I, I do think he'll get the nomination. I do think he would win. Yeah, and and um, John Stewart is saying that too. He's like, guys, don't uh, don't sleep on that happening. Like the nomination is definitely his if he goes forward. He'll clear the field. All the others have already said that, like Nikki Haley and yeah, well, Christie probably would still run, but ultimately they just I don't think they have it over Trump in a primary. No way at all. You know, Pence, Pence doesn't have it. That guy's a freaking wet blanket. Roost. He's the worst. Yeah, what, he's... What did he do for four he years? Just, he just sat he there and looked, he looked awkward for four years. I mean, he just did nothing. He did nothing. Yeah, he's, he's a tough true. one to impersonate, too, because he just, he doesn't, he doesn't have, he just doesn't have these this outward stuff about him that, that you could right. even like or admire and, and, and inspire you to even want to get an impression of him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. So, so anyway, so, I'm sure you're running out of time. We're going up. Well, be, yeah, before we did, I wanted to quickly ask you. Um, I, don't, I think this is true. You were in an episode of The Sopranos and True Detective. Yeah, yeah, I was in the the I was in True Detectives, the early iteration of it, which was more like a uh, mysteries. It was a re recreation show, so okay. it wasn't the it was not HBO, but. I did do The Sopranos. I was in the Heidi and Kennedy episode. I worked a week and a half on the show, and I was playing Michael Imperioli's neighbor. Ben, Howie, Howie Reinstein. Howie Reinstein. And what it was, it was a woman who was playing my wife. It was the woman who was playing his publicist for the record company and her husband. And then another couple that was an integrated couple, not black and white. It was white and Indian guy. And we shot, and the whole subplot of this episode was that Christopher was moving away from Tony. He was trying to get out of the mob. That was the whole episode, the, sub the subplot of this episode. And what would happen is he'd be having a barbecue and it would be just these three couples and Tony and Carmela would show up. Or we'd be having a dinner and it'd be Tony and Carmela would show up. <clears throat> so Tony was catching on to the fact like, what is happening here? Like, who are these people? These are all civilians. Why is Christopher hanging out with them? And I was really excited. And, you know, I've worked on a lot of stuff. You get cut from stuff. Mm -hmm. But I thought, there's no way they're cutting this. I mean, we're in multiple scenes. We're in multiple locations. And when we were filming this episode, one of the days was on on at Silver Cup Studios in Astoria, Queens is where they shot all the interiors. Like the Suvios was right there, but we're inside this funeral home and there's a, a body double in the casket and everybody is there. I mean, every character from every season is there if they're not dead. And um, I'm saying to the woman who's playing my wife, I'm like, can you believe this? Can you believe this? Like everybody is here. Like how lucky are we, everybody from every preceding season is here. And you're looking around like everybody, and there's David Chase, you know? And I was just blown away. And there was a lot of downtime this particular day. It was a 17 hour day. I mean, I'll never wow. forget because I got there at like three in the morning and I was oh. death. Um, and uh, so we're waiting and they're like, okay, B team out, A team in. So all the A-team actors who are going to be in front of the camera come in. And there's Michael Imperioli. And I had obviously met him. I'd worked with him. He walks in. The guy in the casket sits up. He, people help him out. 
And then Michael Imperioli gets in and everybody on that set. And I mean, everybody went, (gasps) (laughs) Oh my God, Christopher's dead. (laughs) Christopher's dead. And, you know, we had signed, you know, we couldn't talk about it. Nothing could be said. And it was unbelievable. Like I knew like a, like a bombshell about the Sopranos. Christopher Moltisanti was dead. And we didn't know because we never got to see the scripts. Because anytime we would say, can we see our lines? They'd go like this. And we go, uh. So, um, and there's another great subplot to this, to not to the story, but I got to meet Matthew Weiner, who went on to do Mad Men, who told me an amazing story. But, so nine months go by, Oh, one, one, the, here's the Matthew Weiner part that's actually important. So I'm sitting there, I'm talking to this guy. And I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, good, how are you? I said, um, who are you? And he goes, I'm the writer. I write the show. I said, oh, I thought David Chase. Well, he goes, David hasn't written an episode in years. because I write the show. I go, really? He goes, yeah. And I, so we got talking and he said something. I, 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 it, it, one of the things about The Sopranos is it always seemed like a movie to me. And he said, we talked and talked. And I said, you know, this show seems different to me than any other show I've ever seen. He said, well, that's because we shoot it like a movie. I'm like, because we shoot the entire season before you ever see the first episode. So we shoot it like a 12-hour movie. You know, we edit, we go in, everything. But he said, do you ever notice the episodes always kind of like 58 minutes, 100? You know, like they're always a little different. And I was like, yeah, I, I have. And he said, did you notice the one year where we didn't start where we were supposed to? We were supposed to come on in January and then February and then Mar- we were like three months late. He goes, that's because David wouldn't release it. He wouldn't release it until we were done and we were done the editing because he wanted the whole thing done like like a movie, like the whole thing's going to be real, you know. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. I said, that's why it has that neat connective tissue between each episode. He said, exactly, exactly. We take our time shooting. I was like, wow. So nine months go by. My episode comes on. And you're there with your because you're yeah. huge, huge, so huge. So they're driving down the road. The two girls, Heidi and Kennedy, are drunk driving. Christopher and Christopher's driving, and you know um, James uh, J- James Gandolfini. I keep I'm switching between the actors' names and the. So anyway, he's driving. Uh, he's like, hey, you on drugs? You on? Dr-? No, 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 no. He's already had a baby. So the baby seat is in the back. So these kids come down the road. They lose control. The car goes off the road. Okay. And I'm thinking like, he's in an accident. Like, where's our scenes? And then um, he gets out. Soprano gets out. What's his first name? Why am I blanking out on this? Tony Soprano. Tony Soprano. So Tony gets out, walks around. Christopher's bleeding. Oh, Tony, Tony. And then Tony looks at the the baby seat and looks back to Christopher. And the thought is, because I had to find out later, but I was like, what's about to happen? And his thing is, he's back on drugs again. He's going to ruin his kid's life. So he kills him. I'm like, (laughs) where's all of our scenes? Where's all the where's all of the preceding scenes? And all of a sudden they're at the funeral, and now it's just like you see me in the background with the woman who plays my you see me over here, you see me. And I just remember thinking, like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh and man. They just decided instead of Tony having to go through all these reasons, they just made it as simple as possible, and he killed him right there. And I'm like, and that had an impact on how much we would have seen you with screen time in that episode. But yeah, I had lines. Your mug was still in there, though. Oh, yeah, and I still get paid. I mean, Oh, I mean, yeah, but, I mean, but still paid. the, but the glory like, is having, having lines and more screen time. Oh, my course. God. That would yeah. have been incredible for my demo reel to be on The Sopranos. Yeah. And it's like I look like an extra, but I'm not because I'm credited. I'm plainly credited. You know, I don't credit extras, but like there I am. There's my character's name because I was right. 
do as the character in the show, but it was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you don't know how it's going to turn out. I, I was lucky. The one movie that I was in was a trauma movie with Lloyd Kaufman. Right. Um, I didn't remember you doing that. I, those guys are great. Which was cool. Flew out and my lines didn't get cut. I had a scene with Lloyd, you know, I was on set 15 hours, you know, the whole deal. But uh, I was, I was, there's always time where you're worried. You're like, that might just cut the whole thing. Yeah. But, and a like, lot nope. of people, you know, and the, the history of actors being cut from films goes like back oh. in time. You know, Kevin Costner was totally cut out of The Big Chill. I mean, totally. Every scene cut out, you know, because yeah. when they go into the editing room, they make a decision, you know, and you're like, your first thing, I think it's just you. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> right. yeah. It wasn't you. It wasn't me because it was me, my wife, the other couple, the other couple. They right. Whole subplot up, and they decided not to use it. You know, and that's that's, that's how it is. That's life. Well, still, man, what what a surreal experience, and you have that. And it's an awesome story, man. Thanks for thanks for telling me about that. So, oh yeah, um, we can wrap it up here, John. I just want to know what's next for you. I mean, what's what's uh, what's in the future for you? And tell everyone where they can find you. Um, you can find me on YouTube at John D- YouTube.JohnDDomeniccoComedy. I have a web series called um, Orange Acres. It's Trump and Melania broke, having to find a job and put their lives back together. Um, you can find me on Cameo at The Johnny D Show. I've done over uh, four, 1,480 cameos as Trump, but I can do it wow. as any character find me on TikTok. I currently have 5.4 million followers. I'm actually going to get out of, get into Trump and shoot some TikToks and uh, some, some other stuff. There's always another project uh, live shows. I'll be in Chicago um, the 3rd of November. And I have some other, and I have a show in San Diego. So I'm still doing shows and I'm going to be putting a show together here in Las Vegas, which will hopefully be up by springtime and, we're not sure what it's going to be. <laughs> it's probably right. be doing a lot of voices and doing like the last, we're thinking of maybe the last five years, doing like a, a 90 minute show about the last five years where right. I start yeah. out as me and then end up in full makeup as Trump. Right. A metamorphosis over the five yeah. years. Yeah. Which, well, whatever, in a way, which you would relate to. Oh yeah. Whatever it ends up being, uh, we'll be following along, John. And it was really cool to finally talk to you here. Uh, you too, man. And, this uh, great. Connect- Connect, man, and you're always an inspiration to me, and, and I always really appreciate what you do. And um, you know, keep keep at it, man. We're gonna, we're going to keep doing it. And if- I I have no choice. I have yeah. a mortgage. <laughs> I have two ex wives. I have to keep it. <laughs> Absolutely, no. Attorney, attorney's fees. John, I can relate to that big league. Okay. The real Trump can relate to that big, but uh, everyone, thanks for tuning in and check out. I put, I dropped John's info in the description of this video. Follow his stuff. Give him subscribe to him on YouTube, TikTok, the Binga Banga Boom. Yep, the, the internet's the bing, the Binga Banga Boom. A Baron's really good with the internet, as we know. I'm not the so cyber. Good. The cyber. Yeah, the he's cyber. Very smart Baron. with the cyber. Yeah, he's, he's very smart with the cyber. Very smart. But, uh, with the cyber. I have no doubt, John, we'll meet in person one day, and then maybe collaborate on something. All right, man. But uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. And uh, be sure to subscribe to this channel and like and follow us all on social media. And signing out for Jackman Radio, I'm Eric Jackman. Peace and love to you all. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, John. <laughs>